Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Dumas, Texas, featuring biblical teaching and preaching from God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word. If you live in the Panhandle area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you at First Baptist Church. We meet every Lord's Day for Sunday school at 9 a.m. and morning worship at 10.30 a.m. We also have midweek discipleship opportunities for all ages on Wednesdays. For more information, visit us at fbcdumastx.com. That's fbcdumastx.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together. I want you to remember uh, where we ended last week uh, with the great, one of the great doxologies of Scripture, one of the great praises to God. Paul's reminder to the reader of Romans that God is the source from him, the sustainer through him, and the justifiable end to him, to him are all things. And as the choir sang last week, God is the one who deserves all the glory. He is worthy of it all. In light of that, let's read Romans 12, 1 through 8 together this morning. It says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Let's pray. God, this morning as we have gathered together, God, as we have have saying to you what you mean to us, God, as we've read scripture together, God, as we've recited together this morning, God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would guide us as we open up your word this morning. God, I ask that I, would, I might be able to step aside, uh, God, that we would hear you, hear you speak. God, uh, come as, as your servant this morning. God, we ask that your spirit would move among us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As Matt reminded us last week, Romans 1 through 11 
gives us our systematic theological outline of what a Christian's understanding should be of sin, of God's sovereignty, his mercy, his love, and ultimately his salvation. As we get to chapter 12, though, there's, there's a shift that goes from explanation to application of how to put what has been taught, or give, get what has been taught and put it into uh, what it needs to look like in our lives today. I played a lot of basketball growing up, uh, but my dad was way more knowledgeable about the game and he didn't allow me to play competitively in games until I was in the sixth grade. He wanted me to learn all of the fundamentals, how to do things the correct way, whether that was from him or going to summer camp, summer basketball camp, before I ever got to play in a game. And so that meant that he showed me the correct way to shoot the ball, the correct way to pass the ball. You might not even know the correct ways to do that, you know. Rebound, <laughs> rebound to play defense, etc., etc. I was guided directly uh, by the teaching of him and, and, and who he sent me to. Uh, and so then when he knew that I understood how to play the game and to play it correctly, that's finally when he allowed me to step from the sidelines and get into the game. We see this same structure here in Romans as we get to chapter 12. Paul has gone from the fundamentals of the Christian faith and now in chapter 12, it's getting to the time where he said it's time to get into the game. It's time to take what you've learned, take what you've been taught, and now put it into practice. Put the things that you've been taught, and we're going to go out here and put these into life and see what happens from explanation to application. It's very important, though, also to understand as we get here, you cannot separate the first, chap first 11 chapters of Romans from, from the rest of Romans. You can't separate the doctrine and the theology from the practical application that begins here in chapter 12. They go together. How could we share the gospel without first understanding what the gospel actually is? It's important to understand that these two parts or two sections of Romans fit together. So as Paul shifts his focus to the application of the gospel, these first eight verses in chapter 12 emphasize the worship of God's people. We're going to look at this passage in three separate sections. The first section in verses 1 and 2, I've called the charge, but it could also be called the change, okay? There's something that happens here that Paul wants to get the people's attention, so he gives them a charge. But what he's also going to tell them is something is different. There's a change here. The New Living, in the New Living Translation, it gives an easy break in this passage as it says, and so. Your version might say, or have in it, therefore. Which indicates that Paul is turning the focus from what has been previously said, but still holding tightly to what's been presented in light of each of this, here is where we're headed. Further, he says, I plead with you. Also, maybe translated in your version as, a, 
as I appeal to you or beseech you. Paul is redirecting the focus again. The Greek word here is perikalo, which comes from the root word paraclete. Maybe you've heard that before. It's what Jesus used in reference to the Holy Spirit, who he calls the helper, the comforter, and the counselor. So Paul is pleading with the readers here as a helper and as a counselor. And as he is pleading as a helper and a counselor, he's saying, listen to me. I have something important that I need to tell you. With the emphasis again on understanding the the doctrine and, and theology, he instructs the reader to give their bodies to God because, pointing back to the first 11 chapters, because of all that he has done for you. There's an obvious understanding that in worship of God, it requires a sacrifice. But this avenue of worship and sacrifice that Paul was presenting here was a new concept. It wasn't something that maybe even the reader completely understood what he was saying. So as he said, to let your body be a living and a holy sacrifice, I talked to uh, the football team every Wednesday. And this past Wednesday, I actually used the first part of this passage and we talked about what it means uh, to sacrifice. And, and many times when we hear the word sacrifice, it brings some negative connotation to us as if we are losing something valuable. And while that is partially and even partially biblically true. It's not the complete concept. It's also in sacrifice, especially in sacrifice to God, it's that we give something. Not just that we lose something, but that we give something. It's not all in the losing. It's so much in the giving. And Paul says, this is truly the way to worship him. Steve Lawson, in his book, Show Me Your Glory, says, true worship is the only rightful response to God. Moses records in Deuteronomy 6, chapter 5, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Under the old covenant, they were asked to make a sacrifice that would be dead on the altar. Under the new covenant, Paul is saying, be the sacrifice that's not dead on the altar, but living. Be the living sacrifice. And he says, this is holy and acceptable to God. This is your worship. And so you might ask, what does this look like? Thank you for asking. Let's read Romans 12, 2 again. It says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. It's twofold in the beginning of this verse. The first thing that we see, he says, don't copy the behaviors 
and customs of this world. And this reminds me a lot of our students and what our students deal with 24 hours a day. A lot of it because of the accessibility that they have with, with their cell phones and social media, but it's so much more than that as, as well. What is the world screaming at us every day? Be like this. Do it this way. Try this. It's not that bad. Follow us. And Paul's message is God has put you into this world not to become more like the world. That's the natural progression of what the sinful nature would be, to become more like the world. But it's those next three words, right? It's those next three words that say, but let God. Not figure this out on your own or look across and see what someone else is doing, but let God. Paul says to set aside your selfishness just for a bit and let God do his mighty work in you. And so again, we ask, well, what, what is that? And we get the second part here where it says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. It's a metamorphosis that happens here. To take who we are, changing us from the inside, our mind, from the inside out into our actions, from our mind to our actions. Changing why we think is a job that is perfectly fit for the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you. I struggle sometimes with logic and things. And, uh, and, and again, this is why, why Ronnie does not mind when I go to sporting events that many times I put on the headset because she could care less what I have to say to anybody else that's there. Um, and, so, and so we see that even with Paul here, he talks about changing first our mind and then changing our mind, the way that we think will in turn change our action. In uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23, it says, Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Verse 2 finishes by talking about what the transformation does. It allows us this threefold blessing of knowing God's will, which are all qualities of who God is, not just in his character, but this is who God is in his essence. This is who God is, good, pleasing, and perfect. When we follow the direction of our Heavenly Father, we understand in every circumstance, every circumstance, that God is good, God is pleasing, and God is perfect. I've never understood this more than walking through the past few years with my dad and his battle with cancer. Did everything go our way? No. Was God around every turn, every high, and every low? Every single one. Did we always have the answer that we wanted to every question? 
We didn't. We didn't have every answer that we wanted. But you know what we did know? We knew peace. We knew rest that only God can give. And the entire time, we understood that God was good and that in him, he was pleasing and he is always perfect. In these next three verses, we see Paul give a warning. Let's read starting in uh, chapter 12, verse 3. It says, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give you each this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest of your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. Paul gives a warning to the believer here not just his, and this is just isn't his opinion, this isn't just his observance of, of something that's happening, but as one who is gifted by God, this is the authority that Paul says these things. It's definitely a warning that's needed because he understands our tendency to boast. So as he is getting ready to talk about what the gifts are, he understands what human nature is. And so as we understand it, maybe we, God has gifted us in a certain area. What is, what's the first thing that, that we tend to do is to boast. And so Paul reminds the reader to really examine yourself, understanding who you are and who's given you what you have. Paul points out that God uses us to fulfill our own role in the body of Christ. Our human nature for us obviously is to compare and contrast and to look maybe across on the other side of the room to see why we can do something, why someone else can't do something. But even before he mentions what the gifts are, he gives us this warning. And in verses four and five, Paul made the comparison of our natural bodies to the body of Christ in that we are not all cookie cutter, not all made the same. We are unique and we're diverse. We each have certain things that God has given each of us that are special and unique. But as they come together with each other, we're able together to further God's kingdom. He said here in this passage and also in his message to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, he says, All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. And so again, the next natural question as we progress through this passage becomes, why are we talking about being humble and being sober-minded on these things about something that we don't even know about yet? Well, let's look at it. It's our final part of the passage. Getting to verse 6 here. Let's read verses 6 through 8. It says, In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. 
If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is, if it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Paul makes it very clear up front here that the gifts are gifts of grace given by God. And so if they are gifts of grace, we understand that they're undeserved. These gifts are unmerited. There's nothing that we have done to deserve them. But they are also not to be wasted. They're also not to go unused. If they're gifts from God in our own lives, they must be used and put into practice. Paul mentioned seven gifts here. So let's briefly uh, break each one of these down by definition, but also see if we feel as if God has gifted us in one of these areas where we can put that gift to service and in use. The first one is prophecy, and this is going to be fun. Um, it's not only the funnest, but probably the most controversial and most difficult to interpret. So I think by definition, that's what we should look at. And by definition, the Greek word that's used here is speaking forth. And while some New Testament apostles did speak about predicting future events in, in Acts, this does not necessarily mean that this gift includes these aspects. It definitely includes speaking God's truth to help strengthen and encourage believers and non-believers to grasp the truth. Here's what R.C. Sproul has to say. It says, the Old Testament prophets were called upon to interpret God's word to the people. In like manner, the New Testament prophet was one gifted in interpreting or expositing the word of God. In contemporary terms, such a prophet is a preacher. Today it is the preacher who fulfills the task of interpreting or expositing the word of God. And so for us, we understand that God has gifted some to the role of preaching to the church. And Paul says to that group, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. And that's where we're going to end on my part today. Um, if you want to hear more about that, uh, Pastor Matt did a, did a whole evening session on that last summer, 2022, uh, where he addressed that in one of his summer studies. The next gift that Paul mentions here is service. In your translation, it might say ministry here. Those who give of their time and serve and help in the church. In our view, this is a ministry that is led out by our deacons, the lead servers of the church. If you're gifted to serve, as so many of you are today, we understand there's countless opportunities here to serve in our church, from being in the choir or on certain service com committees that we have, or our greeters. We have people every Sunday that help with get our broadcast on and make sure that the sound works. All of those areas are areas of service. And, to Paul, and Paul says to this group, serve them well. The next gift that he mentions is the gift of teaching. John MacArthur describes this gift as the ability to interpret, 
clarify, systematize, and explain God's truth clearly. This is a biblical qualification of a pastor, but by no means is limited to the pastor. If you're gifted, if you're gifted with the gift to teach, there again are many opportunities here in the church to use that gift in Sunday school, in our small groups, in our weekly Bible studies, uh, or Bible study times with men or with women, on, in the women's retreat, in kids' camp, vacation Bible school. We could go on and on and on. There are many areas to use the gift of teaching. And to, and to that group, Paul says, teach well. The next gift that he mentions is the encourager. Some call this, this gift the gift of exhortation. I see this as a gift that is magnified by one who has wisdom. It's always nice to get a pat on the back. But an encourager is also one who can gently correct when it's needed. The encourager doesn't need a specific role. Uh, they're found in every room, every pew, every seat. If this is your gift, I want to encourage you this morning to be bold in seeking opportunities to share that special gift with others. To the encourager, Paul says, be encouraging. The next gift that Paul mentions is the giver. And here's the reality of this next gift. We, have all, we all have the biblical mandate to give, but some God has blessed to really have the gift to give. Many of you give, and so many of you give very generously. Those who have this gift, though, not only give generously, they also give much beyond what God requires, doing it all the time with a cheerful heart. And Paul says to the giver, give generously. Next, we see the, the gift of leadership. Some have put this with administration. The gift to guide others around them with a selfless attitude that's geared to edify the body and to glorify God. By no means is this limited just to somebody who's employed by the church. This is why we have chairmen of our committees. That's why we have ministry teams. This allows those who have that gift to use it. And to those, Paul says, take the responsibility seriously. The last gift that Paul mentions is the gift of kindness, also translated maybe as mercy. This is the gift of actively showing a special sensitivity and being sympathetic to those who are dealing with a trial or a tough circumstance. Many times this gift is coupled with the gift of encouragement. This can be shown at many times, but I think it's especially evident in our church in the bereavement ministry of those who have lost loved ones. Also in our benevolence ministry to those who have fallen on hard times. They come in and they need help physically, spiritually, or financially. To this group, Paul says, do it gladly. So as the church has been gifted with each of these to each of its members, as a body with many parts, God's expectation for us is to use these gifts. 
It would be easy for us to come and spectate. It would be easy for us to watch as others use their gifts to cheer them on. And maybe, maybe we are a cheer. Maybe we're an encourager. But God has asked us to use our gifts. And so what I would implore you this morning, church, is to find a spot. Find a spot to use your gift. Talk to one of us. Be involved. Use your gift to edify the body and to glorify God. So what do we take from this passage as a whole? I think there's a couple things. God has called us uniquely, and he has gifted each one of us to unite together as one body and for the purpose of glorifying him as, as we come together. You know, sometimes it involves us waiting on God's perfect timing. The Mats and I are reading a book together entitled Strength for the Weary by Derek Thomas. And he says, waiting involves looking away from ourselves and our troubles and looking to the Lord in faith and with expectation. And not just looking, but expecting and trusting and believing, taking a long, hard look at who God is, his character, his being, his word, his promise, his commitment, his covenant, his unchanging determination to do what he said he would do. The next thing that I think that we can take from this passage is that our worship to him is made in sacrificing our everything for his call. It's to stop making excuses, and it's to allow God to transform us into a vessel that's good, that's pleasing, and perfect. Let's pray. God, you have given us so much of a reason today to worship you. God, for us, it does mean that we sacrifice. And so God, as we look at our own lives and understand that we, can, we cannot do this on our own, we have to have you. God, allow us the ability to give it up, to give it to you, to be used in the way that it's truly intended so that we might be able to look back at one point and understand that what you have done through us to you is good, pleasing, perfect. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at fbcdumas at hotmail.com. It's fbcdumas at hotmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 806-935-5604. We'll see you next time.